0: Praise the Lord. There's some things I already know, and I'm excited about what I know, and that's good enough. There's just some things stirring, and I really believe this is a year that we step into the destiny that this church was called to over 32 years ago, and uh, it's time. It's time. It's time. Praise the Lord. Well, open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 6, and though it may be time there are obstacles to overcome the difference between the first generation of Israel that came out of Egypt and the second generation that came out of Egypt is the first generation that came out of Egypt both of whom were going into a land that was promised by God can't get any better than that God's made a promise to you it was promised by God but what he didn't tell them is there were obstacles and the first generation pulled back When they saw the obstacles, because they didn't think they were able to handle the obstacles. So God had to leave them for 40 years in the wilderness, 39 more years in the wilderness, until that generation that came out of Egypt died off. It was a generation of unbelief, except for two men, Joshua and Caleb, who when they saw the obstacles says, I see obstacles, but what are those obstacles compared to our God, who has promised us that we're well able to take the land. So God had to wait until he had a generation of people that would take would believe God's promise no matter what obstacles they faced. And the question is, are we that generation? Are we that generation? We're a generation that's been taught faith, whether you've been, you know, part of that the whole your walk with God or not. This this is a generation that's probably had more faith taught to it than perhaps any other generation. And yet, are we ready? And that's the question we're going to begin to face. Are we ready? Are we the first generation that couldn't go in and God had to wander them around in the wilderness for 39 years really as a protection for them, but they couldn't enter into the destiny even though that was a destiny God had called them to? Or are we the second generation? They weren't perfect by any means, but but they were a generation that would trust God no matter what they saw. Because they believed that God said so, it could be done. Are we that generation or are we not that generation? Well, we're going to find out. Not tonight necessarily, but that's the challenge that God has laid before us. And that's why it's so important that we understand faith. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Did I tell you to do that already? All right. We'll start in verse 10. Of course, we're talking about the armor of God, which has to do with spiritual warfare. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the all armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand... Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shot or put on your feet the preparation of gospel of peace, and above all, taking up the shield of faith with which you may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. We'll stop there. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. No matter what our day has been like, no matter what things look like in our life right now, no matter how we feel right now, whether we're on the verge of panic or whether we're at the height of ecstasy of victory it matters not where we are emotionally your word is the same yes. your word never changes and we turn to your word tonight because your word is the truth it reveals who you are it reveals what you've done and it reveals what you have ahead of us and so we thank you that your word is enough it contains the power of god unto salvation and so father we thank you for your word we thank you tonight for the holy spirit the precious holy spirit who dwells in us and is here among us and we look to his anointing tonight to take this word and quicken it to our hearts and make it alive to us that which we need to hear tonight in Jesus' name amen well we're going to continue tonight to talk about the shield of faith I'm not going to spend a lot of time going back over the rest of the armor other than to say, suffice it to say this much, we are in a battle. I'm going to read a scripture to you. It's out of 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. And we'll end up our study with this there, but I just felt ready to read this to you tonight. Be sober. That doesn't mean just don't get drunk. That means to be alert, be awake. Wake up. Be vigilant. That means you're looking around, watching. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, say the devil, he is your, say the devil, he is your adversary. We don't talk about him a lot here. We don't want to give him that honor, but he is real and he is your adversary because your adversary, the devil. Now notice, look to your left, look to your right. He doesn't say your spouse. He doesn't say your neighbor. We've already seen that. In Ephesians six, it says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. No human being is your enemy. No human being is your spiritual enemy. There are spirits that may be using somebody, but he's your enemy. That spirit is your enemy. Your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion. Notice it says this is 1 Peter five eight. Notice it says, like or as a roaring lion. It does not say he is one. It's describing how he walks about. If you've ever seen these movies in Africa, these documentaries of lions, they don't just walk up to a herd of animals and attack it. They crouch down. And they move in packs, and they move, prides I guess they're called, and they move around and they position themselves, first of all, so that, they're, so that they're downwind. Which means that the animals that they're pursuing cannot detect them with their senses. And they creep down low to get as close to them as they can before they spring at them. That's the style that a lion uses to per, 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 to isolate and attack its enemy. And Peter's telling us that our enemy approaches us the same way. He doesn't come up to you in a red suit with a long forked tail and a pitchfork to say, can I stick you somewhere? He's a deceiver. We've seen already in Ephesians 10 that the Bible tells us that his weapons are deceit and trickery not power so he has to fool you he has to catch you off guard he has to soften you up and ultimately what he wants what he wants to do is isolate you what those animals what those lions do is they they want to isolate the weaker members and there's a video I shared with some of you before I think it was on a Wednesday night uh, and I forgot the name of the of the video um, it's a, it's a game reserve, I think it's in Kenya, and it's on YouTube. What's it? it begins with a K. Anyway, I'll think of it. Anyway, if you look at the video, I'll get the name for you. It's, it's about eight minutes long, but it shows you these lions pursuing these wildebeests, or, 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 or water buffalo. And, and, um, and these water buffalo are huge, but when they're in large groups, the lions stay away from them, but they stay around the edge, and then as this herd turned to go away from the waterhole, these lions went after and snagged one of the babies and pulled him away. What they're trying to do is isolate some of them, somebody that's weak. And Peter says that our adversary is not a roaring lion, but he 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 pursues us the way a roaring lion would. So the first thing he does is roars, makes a lot of noise to scare us. Secondly, he tries to isolate us. He's trying to get you afraid and he wants to isolate you because he's seeking, notice it says, whom he may devour. That means he can't devour who he wants. Notice it doesn't say he devours who he wants to devour. He's testing to find out who's going to let them devour him. And so here's what we're to do, resist him, resist him. You've got to resist him. If you don't resist him, he'll pursue you. See, a lot of people have this attitude, well, you know, God just lets certain things happen in our life to test us and so that we can grow. Well, there are some tests he lets happen to our life, but being destroyed by the lion is not one of them. And so those teachers kind of assume that whatever happens in your life, God's allowed. That's not scriptural. This is not scriptural. Because if, if God allowed it, then why is He telling me to resist? The Bible tells me I have an enemy. I'm not supposed to cooperate with Him. I'm supposed to resist Him. Notice how I resist Him. Steadfast in the faith. Steadfast in what? Steadfast in the faith. And he goes on to say, knowing that the same sufferings have experienced by your brotherhood in the world. By the way, he doesn't say sickness and disease. He's talking about persecution here. Alright, now Ephesians 10 tells us the part of the armor that we're into is in verse 15. Excuse me, 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you're able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And I wanted to read that scripture in 1 Peter to show you that what we're, the way we're told to resist the enemy is by being steadfast in the faith. So faith is not only a device by which we receive things from God. Most of the teaching we have about faith is to instruct us and strengthen us and encourage us because faith is given to us and faith is to be developed in us so that we can receive those things that are freely given by God. So we've seen before that in Ephesians chapter 2 it tells us that we're saved by grace. That's the device by which God saves us through faith. That's by how we receive the grace that God's given to us. So we receive it by faith. So faith is what you allows you to receive something God has prepared for you you can't see. Because you don't know to pick it up if you can't see it. But faith allows you to recognize something's there even though your senses can't detect it. So primarily the way faith has been taught to us is, some, is a means by which we receive things from God. But here we see faith as being used in a different manner. It operates the same way, but has a different purpose. Here it's not to receive something from God, but it's to make sure you don't receive something from the devil. Can you see that? The shield, the the Roman shield that he's referring to here, was about four feet tall and about three feet wide. And it was kind of in an arc. So that as a soldier held it up like this, he could scooch down behind it and he could literally get entirely behind it. And when these soldiers marked together, they would link together and it would form something, a device they called the turtle. Where they would link the armor, the, the, the shields together and they would stand, be a wall that they're standing behind and they could actually put some over their heads so that they were even impenetrable to arrows being shot over their heads at them. And then they would just slowly march through with them, with their spears sticking out. So they were defensive, the shield is a defensive weapon. <clears throat> and so the 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 part of God, because we we've talked about, is these different pieces of armor are not something you're to get up in the morning and put, you know, your 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 your, your, uh, your piece on your feet and you know. I've seen people do that, and that's nice to remind you of what it is, but it's literally putting God's character on. And we've talked about the fact you can put God's character on because when you're born again, His nature and character is in you. So it's simply acting like Him in in the heat of battle instead of acting on your flesh or what everybody else may act like. You act like God in the midst of battle because you can put Him on because you have Him on the inside of you. And so that's what we're talking about. So we've already talked about truth, we've already talked about about righteousness, we've already talked... And so now, and peace, and now we're talking about faith, which is a defensive weapon, just as the breastplate of righteousness is a defensive weapon. But this one is held out away from your body so that the weapons don't even get to you. And notice it's that you quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Now we already know that the only weapons he has has our wiles or deceits? A deceit is something that looks true, but it's not true. So what this means is he's shooting truth at something that looks true at you, but it's not the truth. And we talked last week when we just introduced this concept to you of sharing. What he'll do is he'll take a situation, he'll take something that your senses detect, and he'll tell you what it means. So we went last time, because if it's the shield of faith, then how do, I, how do I, because we're supposed to take it up. That means if you don't do something, it's not going to do you much good. You may have it, but if you don't take it up and use it, then it won't do you much good. So we went last time and looked, all right, what is, what is this made of, this shield of faith? Well, we looked at what faith is. Hebrews 11.1 1 is the classic definition of faith, which says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And I told you the word substance comes from a Greek word originally, which meant a, a fluid that they let sit for a while, and sediment settle down to the bottom. And what that word the word for the sediment was hoopostasis, which means something literally stand under. It refers to the particles that were in there originally. Now, before they let it sit still, they could, those particles were in there, but you couldn't see them with your eyes. So the scientist, because he had more knowledge, recognized it was in there, even though his senses couldn't see it so he let it, he acted on what he understood, which is what faith does, and let it sit there until the particles settled out so he could now see them. So faith gives substance to something that's hoped for. Hope is always future oriented. And this is where so many Christians miss it. They'll say, well, I'm believing God for this. Oh, really? Do you believe God's done it for you? Well, I hope so. When's God going to do it for you? Well, sometime He's going to do it. That's not faith. That's hope. Hope's important. Because without hope, there's nothing for your faith to give substance to. You, ought, How many of you have a furnace in your house or a heat in your house? Anybody not have (laughs) heat? Well, then you'll understand this concept. If it gets cold, you know, I've come into the house in in the afternoon sometime and I forgot that we have it programmed and it had gone down. Or we came home from vacation one time and you walk in, you can tell when you walk in that house, something's wrong. (laughs) Or you get up in the night, you know, it shouldn't be this cold. (laughs) Something's wrong. So what do you do? You go where? The to the thermostat. And you say, the thermostat tells you that the temperature right now is 60 degrees. And where you don't want it at 60 degrees. Where do you want it? Suppose you want it at 70. If you're my wife, you want it at 72. You want it at 70. So you turn it up. Now, you know, we push buttons. But you turn it up. You turn the thermostat up to 70 degrees. And does that make it seventy? No. Does it turn does the temperature immediately go to 70 when you turn it up to 70? Why? Because that thermostat has no power. Does it? Then why do you do that? I mean, I turn it up to 70 and I start acting as if it's already warm. That's faith. Because I know that the thermostat is connected to something in the basement that does have the power to bring the temperature in our house up to 70. And that's the what? The furnace. So what the temp thermostat does is it establishes my hope for where the house is going to get to. Which sets a target for the thermostat to bring the heat up to where I've set the goal for the heat to be. And that's how faith and hope work together. Because faith is the substance, it's the heat of what is hoped for. See, I can sit there and look at that thermostat at 70 all day, and I don't feel it, it doesn't make me do me any good. I don't feel any warmer. My wife isn't any happier. And I said, But the thermostat says 70. Why? Because there's no substance to that. Substance means tangible, something you're experiencing, something that's giving you value, something that your senses tell you is real. That's what substance means in this context. It means something that you have confidence is real because your senses confirm that it's there. That chair has substance to you or you would not have sat in it but you sat in it because you had confidence because that chair has substance to you. you. Therefore, you didn't need to sit in it by faith because it has substance to you. So anything that your senses are telling you exists, you don't need faith for because you only need faith where there's hope involved and hope is only something you don't have. You're hoping for something that you don't have. You see that in Romans chapter 8. It's around verse 24 or 25 in there. It says, for the things you have, you don't need to hope for because you already have it. So faith takes something that you're hoping for and gives it such substance, it's as if you have it right now, even though you may not have it, so your senses can detect it right now. Are you with me so far? Then the second part of that definition, which is important to our study here, it is the evidence of things not seen. Now, the Greek word for things there means something that actually exists. So it's the evidence. Now, what does evidence do? Evidence stands in the place of something that your senses can't prove. In a court, they present evidence to the jury of what happened at the crime scene because the jurors weren't at the crime scene to see it happen. So you have to present evidence to support what you're telling the jury you want them to believe happened two months ago or three months ago. So the evidence stands in the place of what you can't see, but that's real. You're with me so far? And that's what faith does. Faith says, this is so real to me because God said so, that I'm going to act as if I have it in my senses because I can trust God's Word that much that even though my senses can't prove to me that I possess it now, I'm going to act as if I have it now because God's Word is good as that. And that's the way we've taught faith in the context of receiving something from God. So, the way faith becomes now, because Jesus taught that in Matthew chapter 11, Mark chapter 11, 23 and 24, he's talking about prayer there, the prayer of faith. He said, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, verse 23, be thou taken up and cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he said shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore, I say unto you, here's the principle. Whatsoever things you ask when you pray, believe that you have received it when? When you prayed. So I believe that it's mine now just because I asked. Do I have it in my possession so that my senses can detect it? No, otherwise I wouldn't need to pray. Because I'm praying and asking for something that my senses don't tell me that I have right now. But because I can trust God's character, I know I have it. It's as good as having it just because I've asked Him. So faith stands in the place of that substance that confirms to me that it's mine. Okay? Now we come over to what we're talking about here. If that's what faith is, then how in the world can that be a shield against fiery darts? Glad you asked the question. Otherwise, we'd go home early. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to tell you anyway. (laughs) And this is where we were last week. Go with me to to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And we're going to go over this again tonight because I need to go over this again tonight. (laughs) You may not need to, but I need to. Because this week I had some fiery darts shot at me and I let my shield down. I just, and I, I knew better. I just, I just, I, I paid attention to the darts and I could hear the Spirit of God in me saying, put your shield up and it's just, you know, well, it's Christmas time, you got family home, there's good stuff to eat, you know, and you just get in, and you get tired, and it's been a busy schedule, and you say, well, okay, I'll do that tomorrow. Well, tomorrow was more difficult to pick it up because once those fiery darts get in and they start working your heart, discouragement starts getting in there, you look at me and say, you get discouraged. I'm human just as you are. But I know what to do. But in this case, I didn't do it as fast as I should have. And it got in there, and that fire. That, see, the reason why it says fiery darts, because what does fire do? It spreads. It spreads. It spreads from that little thing you think you can handle, and if you don't pull it out right away, then you got part of you on fire. And whether it's envy, jealousy, or strife—in this case, it was just discouragement—I started looking at things, just things I know I've been. Things I've been, He hit me in every area of what I've been praying. And standing in faith, and I just started looking at circumstances. And I didn't then react and do what I'm telling you to do. I've been doing it all along, but I just let down this week. So I need to do this to remind myself. Because I don't like those fiery darts. I had to pull them out today. I had to get in prayer and just start pulling them out. And you know, it's humbling because you've got to admit you're wrong. Then you've got to apologize to people. You know, it's just, you know. And then you've got to repent because it'll form a bad... If you let those go, it'll form a bad attitude. And ultimately, his desire is to pull you away from God is to get your heart so upset, so discouraged, that you'll stop reading your Bible, you'll stop praying, then you'll stop coming to Wednesday night service. Then you'll you know, well I don't have to come to every Sunday service. Then you'll you know, and then what happens is you'll eventually just kinda of, and that's exactly what the roaring lion's looking to do. That's what his goal is to begin to pull you away from one another and from from, from f- away from your walk with God. So now that you you are no match for him and I am no match for him. I had enough of the taste this week. I don't want to do that. So I put my shield back up. And this is what Paul talked about. Verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart. And this is how he stopped from losing heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our outward light affliction, our outer, excuse me, I'm so used to the New American Standard. I'm just going to say what the NASB says. For this temporary light affliction, is earning for us an eternal weight of glory. So he's comparing what his outer man's going through, the discouragement, because notice he's talking about losing heart. If you look at the first chapter, it talks about despair, even the point of death. Paul fought off discouragement, he fought off despair. He wasn't always, didn't see himself always as this powerhouse that that, that that other people saw him at. He had to deal with things within his own soul and his own emotions. But then we read last week some of the things he went through. Three times, a night and a day in the deep. We talked about that last week. With his feet at midnight, floating underneath in the water. Something brushes up against him. Your mind can begin to imagine what that might be. Fiery dark and all these things that Paul went through, the fiery darts are not what you're going through. The fiery darts are the thoughts that are given to you of what they mean. And I'm going to show you examples of that. It's not what you're going through. It's the thoughts of what they mean about what's going to happen. Satan talks to you about your future. He'll use your past but he'll tell you what's going to happen, and it's never good. He never paints a good picture for you, unless it's pride he's working on. And here's the secret. Here's how you put up the shield of faith. For we look not at the things that are seen. That's not necessarily just your eyes. That's anything that comes through any one of your five senses. And he, but the word look there means pay attention. We don't regard or pay attention to the information that comes at us through our five senses. Because that's the only avenue he has to get at you. And that's what this was. It was something I saw and something I heard, and then I didn't answer it with what I've been praying about that situation. Instead, I let my mind think about it. And as I let my mind think about it, I put down the shield and I I allowed that fiery dart to go past the shield and stick in me. And then once one's in there, that shield gets heavier because you're distracted by that. And now another one gets in, in another area. And now you feel like you're staggering. Now you're losing your peace. Right? Right? Then you start feeling condemned and your breastplate begins to slip a little bit. Alright? And, and you and, and, and now he's he's beginning to, he's got a, a, a open target to begin to shoot at. But the good news is because our captain has already won the battle that no matter if you're down, as long as you're breathing you can still win. As long as you're breathing there was a Old pastor we had out in Oklahoma who told a story, and I don't remember the story, I just remember the punchline. And it was about somebody who'd gone through everything that could happen, beaten up, run over, taken to the the emergency room, and they didn't think he was alive. And I think the story was, and what they finally was, is all he could do is move his little finger. But when he moved his little finger, they realized he was alive, and instead of sending him to the morgue, they sent him to ICU. And the moral of the story is, if you can wiggle, you can win. If you can still move your mouth at all, you can win. You can pick up your shield of faith. You can pick up your you can adjust your breastplate of righteousness. You can get your your belt arm back right, get up nice and tight again. You can put your peace back on your feet, and you can go back at him again. Because I'm proof that you can do that. So look at this. We look not, we don't pay attention to anything that comes at us through our senses that's standing behind the shield but we but at we look at or pay attention to things that are not seen What are the things that are not seen that we pay attention to? He's talking about two different realms of existence here. He's talking about the things that are seen are the natural material realm. The things that are not seen are the spirit realm. We're talking about the things that are not seen are the things God's promised. So when you're praying for relatives, and instead of seeing what you've asked God, you see it get worse you just take up that word of God that says my God says, promised these things to me my God says that if I call upon him he will hear me if I cry unto the Lord if I ask anything that's in accordance with his will he hears me well I know the salvation of my relatives is in accordance with his will so I know he's heard me I don't care what the devil paints picture he paints I don't care what he tells me I don't care what things sound like I don't care what things smell like all those are my senses all I care about is what God says about this situation and as that's all I look at there's nothing that the Satan can fire at me that can penetrate those because the fire gets quenched when it hits the word not only can it not penetrate the word notice the dart is quenched the fire, the sting is taken out of it and that's how we pick up the shield of faith 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, and this is the key. Verse 7 says, For we walk, the word walk there means conduct our lives by faith and not by sight. We walk in this life. Now, now, you don't drive your car this way, but you live your life, you walk your life for the Lord by faith. But it doesn't just say that. It tells us what we walk by, but it also tells us what not. To walk by and not by sight or anything that our senses tell us. That means whatever, I've got to become sensitive to the thoughts that are coming at me and where they're coming from. Are these my thoughts? Are these God's thoughts? Or are these darts, fiery darts that come from the enemy? Well, if they're God's thoughts, they don't come at you through your mind, they come through your spirit. And the Word of God tells us they bring peace. James says, For the wisdom of God is peaceable. It brings peace. Now, he may, not, he may tell you to do something that you don't feel peace about because <laughs> it confronts your flesh. But the peace of God is in it. Colossians, he said, Let peace rule or reign in your heart. The word there isn't rule over. It's rule like an umpire. It's governed like an umpire. Let it rule over you. So, so the thoughts from God will bring peace. They will develop faith. They will draw you closer to God. They will not produce fear. But the fiery darts will produce fear. They will produce anger. They will produce resentment. They will produce all the works of the flesh whereas the thoughts of God produce the fruit of the Spirit. Okay. Now, how do we stay behind? How do we stay behind the shield? Because he doesn't like you behind the shield because he knows he can't get at you. So he's going to try to distract you and either get you to put your shield down or peek out behind it. All right. Now, it's interesting, as I was meditating on this today, Satan's devices... Use your senses. And the very first temptation the Bible records was done exactly that way. In Genesis 3, 6, it says, And Eve looked at the fruit and saw, what? That it was good. So it must have looked good. It probably was a nice, good piece of fruit. By the way, it doesn't say it was an apple. It says it was fruit. But what had God said? God said of any tree in the garden, you may freely eat, but of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat. For in the day you eat it, you shall die. That was God's word. That was not a prohibition It was a protection. See, the world looks at God's rules as things to keep you from having fun. Restrictions. Oh my goodness, we can't do that. We can't eat of that tree. Oh my goodness, God's trying to keep us from having fun. And in a way, that's what Satan was telling her. But God's rules are for protection because I don't want to shock you but you can't handle everything if you think you can just take a good hard look at your life and look at what a great job you're doing especially before you came to Christ look at what a great job you did on your own and in fact most of the good God's been able to do in your life has not been because of you but in spite of you (laughs) and he's still been able to do a lot of good in spite of you. But the point here is this. Satan tempts her by telling her it's good. Fiery dart. And he fired at her senses to get her to look at it. And when she chose to decide, based on what it looked like to her, and not what God's Word said, she came out from behind the shield and was no match for the dart that was shot at her. Let me give you a second example, but in this case it was handled differently. This is in Matthew chapter 4. This time it's also Satan. This time it's also a child of God, but this time it's Jesus. Well, I'm not going to read through all of it. These are the three temptations, of course, where Satan, first of all, it tempts him to eat food. Verse 3 says, Now the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God. That's a fiery dart. That's a fiery dart. Because he's not trying to help him to establish and give him confidence that he's the Son of God. He's trying to create doubt. That's a fiery dart. And will not doubt in your heart. he shall have whatsoever he says. If you are the Son of God, Satan is trying to establish the challenge to get Jesus to defend himself. There's a side lesson in this. Jesus never defended himself. And Jesus doesn't need you or me to defend Him either. Don't get in an argument with somebody over Jesus. He, doesn't, he has never told us to defend Him. He's told us to share Him. So, He's being tempted to defend Himself. How does He handle this fiery dart? Verse 4. He answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He answers the thought with words. The way you pick up your shield is to take this word and you speak it out of your mouth. Thinking it's one thing, But there's greater power when you speak it out, because when you, oh, this is good, when you think it, you're allowing the thought, you're allowing the battle to take place in your mind. When you speak it, the battle takes place in the spirit atmosphere outside of you. Where would you rather have the battle fought? When you declare the Word of God, all kinds of things happen in the spirit realm. Angels begin to move. Spiritual laws that begin to go into effect. But when you think it, all you do is encourage yourself. Let's look at the second one. Notice the devil didn't quit. That's with Jesus. Then the devil took him up to the holy city, set him on a pinnacle in verse 5 of the temple and said to him, If... You are the Son of God. Another fiery dart. Throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give His angels charge over you. Now He's going to use the Word. Remember, He's crafty. He knows His Bible better than almost every one of us here. He's been reading it longer. (laughs) He knows the Word. He just doesn't do it. He hasn't submitted to it. It is written, he shall give his angels charge over you and they shall ca- ca- in their hands and they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus does again, what? Puts his shield up and said to him, It is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Notice he didn't argue. He doesn't debate. He lets the word do all the work. And again the devil took him up on an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him... All these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship him. He took him up there to show him senses. The stones were to appeal to his senses because he was hungry. He was that, at the end of that fast, that starvation coming, that hunger comes back and he's appealing to his senses, his hunger. And the second one, he's appealing to pride. If you are the son of God. Demonstrate yourself. Prove yourself. All of these are designed to come at him through his senses. And Jesus answered each one the same way. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 23. Having been born again, not of a corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the Word of God. That's what we're talking about. Which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is as the flower of grass, and the grass withers, and its flower falls away. But the Word of the Lord endures forever. Amen. So why is this a shield of faith? Because the shield of faith is, is just this. It's taking, it doesn't matter what the enemy's telling me, I'm going to answer it with what God says. And I'm not going to look, because faith does not look at what our senses tell us. Faith only looks at what God says about this. Smith Wigglesworth would say, very simply this, I'm not moved by what I see or what I hear or what I feel. I'm only moved by what I believe God's Word says. So in order to win the battle, in order to not be destroyed by the flaming darts of the evil one, we have to know where the battle is being fought and it's being aimed at your senses, at your... because your emotions... Follow your thoughts. This is very important to understand. At some point I'll teach you about renewing the mind and teach you this principle that that your emotions follow your thoughts. Thoughts don't come out of nowhere like the wind changed and suddenly the fog blows in. And where your mind, you know, was nice and peaceful a few moments ago, now you're you're just, you know, seething with jealousy. That That didn't happen because the wind changed direction. It happened because something occurred either externally or something occurred in your mind and a thought pattern occurred that formed a conclusion about somebody or some situation and the emotion comes from that. And the good news is Since you can control your thoughts, you can control your emotions. And the way you control your thoughts is by doing what the Bible says, which is thinking God's word. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. So don't wait for the... like I did this week, and let the fire start growing in your heart... But every day when you go into situation, when you find yourself in any kind of situation where there's evidence coming at your senses which is designed to discourage you, designed to get you angry, get you in strife, get you uh, to want to quit, whatever it is, when you recognize that what it is, don't entertain it, don't argue with it, take the Word of God and begin to quote that Word back to that situation. So I say, I don't know, I don't know what word to quote. Well, that's your job to find some, but I got some samples for you. You can just take Psalm 23. Most people know that. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I don't care what this looks like, because the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. I don't care if everybody lost their job around me. I don't care if I got three pink slips. The Lord's my shepherd, I shall not. Want Because the pink slip doesn't mean anything until the thought comes of the fact you're not going to have any food on your table, you're going to lose your house, you're going to be in want. But the Word of God says, because the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. So that's the thought I answer the fiery dart with. And it, not only then what happens, not only does it not produce a fire, but it builds my faith. So you'll find that if you keep doing that long enough, the devil will stop shooting at you so often because every shot, every arrow he shoots at you, now you turn into something that strengthens your faith. He's not that dumb. <clears throat> yeah, he says he left Jesus for a seat, but he left him after three shots, three darts, and he walked away for a while because he realized this isn't working. And we're going to learn then how to take up an offensive weapon and go after him. But it doesn't do any good to have an offensive weapon in your hand if you're already not protected. Well, we'll, let's end here.